0: So it's a new year, and I want to try something this year. There is an ancient greeting that the church used to use, and different churches still use it. I want to give it a try this year and run it. So it goes like this. It says, I would come up and I say, the Lord be with you, and you would respond, and also with you. You know, in, in Easter and through Lent, after after Easter, we use, he is risen, but This greeting is actually a really interesting greeting that's been around since the writing of Scripture. It comes out of the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New Testament. And so I think we're going to give it a try this year and see how that works. How's that sound? Good? Okay, so the Lord be with you. Ah, it's beautiful. You guys are amazing. Pull out your bulletin inserts. There's a couple announcements I want to make before we turn to God in worship. First, as always, thank you guys for your generosity and for the gift you guys offer up at Christmas time. It's a blessing to our family, and we really do appreciate it. So, thank you so much for that. Um, today is Undeck the Halls. Um, we take down all our Christmas ornaments and lights and all this stuff. It's the saddest day of the year in our church. If you just leave after worship, we don't have to take them down, and I would be okay with that. So don't stick around. There won't be pizza or pop, and just go home. And next week, you might come back, and there still be Christmas lights. But for those of you who have limitations, yes, after worship today, we will be taking down the lights and the ornaments and the greenery. So stick around. I'm sure Karen would appreciate that. Not that she's, that's a bad thing. It's a good thing, Karen. Yes. Also, what you don't notice in here is there's no note for a Bible study. Bible study will begin again this week at 7 p.m., and I'm actually going to talk about that when we get to the sermon, so I'm going to come back and flesh that one out a little bit for you. There's a bunch of announcements in here, not a whole lot outside the norm that's this week. We will not be having worship practice on Wednesday night this week, so if you've been longing to join our worship team, don't come out Wednesday night. Jer is going to be back with us next. this coming, next Sunday? Next Sunday? It's next Sunday, right? Um, he'll be with us next Sunday, but he won't be in until then. So, so we're not doing worship practice this Wednesday night. But if you'd like to come out and join us next week, by all means, come join us on Wednesday night. Bible study, bundle babies is up and running. Everything's back to normal this week, all right? whole bunch of announcements in here, a whole bunch of things upcoming uh, joy events, all kinds of stuff. Make sure you take some time, read through this, and then mark your calendar for the ones that are important to you that you need to keep an eye on, and make sure you show up to those. Do we have any announcements that are not in the bulletin that we need to note before we turn to God in worship? Anything that didn't make it in? There's a lot of people sick this morning or coming down with sick, so we'll be praying for it. Nancy has a stomach bug, Meredith has a stomach bug, a bunch of people have kind of called out, not feeling very good, so, so yeah, okay, hey, l- yeah, let's not shake hands, let's just keep our germs to ourselves for right now, right, yeah, that's okay, in the church, it's okay to do that, <laughs> but, uh, go ahead and lead us into worship before I get in trouble.
1: Good morning, please stand and join me in our call to worship, which comes from Isaiah 111, praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord with all my heart, Let us praise our Lord. This will be followed by a time of silent confession. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach Teach me your your paths. Guide Guide me in your truth, for you are God, God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long.
0: Amen. Amen. So through the prophet Isaiah the Lord tells us that as a mother comforts her child so will I comfort you. People of God know that in Jesus Christ your sins are forgiven and be at peace. You may be seated. Let's have the kids come forward. How's everybody this morning? Good? Wow. You guys, quiet. How's everybody this morning? Good. It's good, right? It's a good day. Everybody stay up, watch the ball drop New Year's Eve? No. no. <laughs> Some of you did. Huh. Maybe we should talk to your dad about that, huh? Hey, it's a new year. All kinds of things are happening, exciting. And you know what we're going to start this year with? The book of 1 Corinthians. Your dad wouldn't let you stay up and watch the ball drop. I think that's probably a good thing. Neither your parents would either. Wow. They keep saying go to sleep. Huh. Yeah. It's kind of funny, isn't it? No. Okay. So 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is going to be a tricky book, and we're going to chat about that in a moment. But to kind of put it into, into perspective, I have a video for you guys. You guys like videos, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sam, go ahead. Bring up this video for us. And turn One the volume up, solution. kiddo.
2: Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball.
3: So, you
0: want to count how many times the players in white are passing the ball. right, Sam, pause it. Can you pause it? Okay. How many times did the players in white pass the ball? Three? What is that? 21? 12. Okay. So that's how many you counted 12? That was a good count. It was kind of hard to follow the ball. You saw 15? Okay. You saw 20, you saw 13. Okay, Sam, keep playing. Let's see how many times.
2: The correct answer is 16 passes. 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? Yes. For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Huh. Let's rewind and watch it again. Okay,
0: Sam, so let's watch it again. Oh, did you see that gorilla? Here
2: comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. Huh. You saw all of it? When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events.
1: <laughs>
2: and that's the monkey business illusion.
0: Okay, Sam, go ahead.
2: Learn more about the so,
0: so that's a video that has been very popular, and most people, when they watch it the first time, they don't see the gorilla. Who saw the gorilla? Oh, you guys are amazing. You saw the gorilla the first time? Let's ask them. Who saw the gorilla the first time? No. That first time I watched it, I'm like, what gorilla? There's no gorilla. I think they, yeah, like, this is the goofiest video ever. So they made it a little more complicated because it's actually a test, and it's an experiment to... You saw the curtain change color? And you saw the lady move in the middle of the game? Yeah. So that's good. So here's the thing. You guys are going to help us then study 1 Corinthians. Great. 1 Corinthians is going to have stuff in it that we're not going to be aware of until it smacks us in the face. Things are going to happen that are very unexpected that we would never Never, ever see if we weren't paying attention and looking for him. It's actually going to be a fairly complicated book to study. And so each week, we're going to kind of work with you guys. And we're going to have you guys then, because you saw so much in that video, help them see what Paul is writing in First Corinthians. How does that sound? You guys up for the task? No. 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 Oh, my goodness. Kids are going to, you guys are going to be troubled. You know what? You guys scare me a little bit. I feel like you're just waiting to eat me and devour me. Yeah. Okay. Let me pray. I'm going to send you guys back to your seats, and then we're going to actually start to think about 1 Corinthians, okay? Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, even the smallest of them, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, alone are both our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Alright, guys, grab a seat. Oh. All right. So you guys are gonna hear me sucking on a candy because I got a lozenger and my throat's a little rough this morning. So I apologize for that. So here's a question that we're gonna start with this morning. Do you think that belief influences behavior I don't know if you've ever thought about this but what we do is actually the result of what we believe and I think this is where we get faith all wrong Christian faith because in Judaism and in Islam it's actually the opposite in fact for most religions it's the opposite behavior precedes and influences belief But that's not the case in Christianity. In Christianity, what we believe actually influences our behavior. Now, this sounds kind of like a chicken and an egg argument, doesn't it? Which comes first, belief or behavior? If I think about it, the one question that most people wrestle with in Christianity is, what am I supposed to do? The question makes it all about behavior. And I think it's why we keep coming back to the laws and the rules and why we are constantly looking for the list of to-dos. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? What am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? It's also why when the Apostle Paul talks about the idea of freedom throughout his letters, our heads kind of explode. Because we don't really know what to do with this idea of freedom in the context of behavior. Now, I I don't know about you, but for me, slight nuances like this always drive me a little bit crazy. I have a hard time putting handles on the differences between the two. And so I want to try to unpack this a little with some examples. So consider this. Consider speed traps. Everybody fears speed traps, right? everybody does (laughs) okay you should if you don't well here's the deal those places where cops hide and they are just waiting to catch someone who might be speeding yeah they cause me so much anxiety it's ridiculous if i believe that there are certain roads that are free of speed traps where i know cops don't ever patrol then at times I might actually exceed the speed limit a little, just just a little. Whereas if there are areas that I believe cops sit constantly, that the odds are that they are likely to be there, then I am much more attentive to my speed. Same with you? Can I get, yeah, that's true, right? Okay. Belief and behavior are related and it's belief that affects our behavior. Let's try another example. So in 2007 there was a famous violinist whose name was Josh Bell. You got that? This is him playing. Is anyone familiar with that name? Does anyone know of Josh Bell? <laughs> a couple of you. Okay, violinists. Okay. Well, anyway, he posed as a street musician on a busy subway station in Washington, D.C. He had the wrong clothing. He was in the wrong location. He wore a long-sleeved T-shirt and a baseball cap. And he took out his violin, and he played for roughly 45 minutes. And more than 1,000 people passed by him. What's kind of funny as you watch parts of the videos, there's a handful of people who will stop and put money in his violin case, completely unaware that the violin he's playing is over 300 years old and worth $3.5 million. It's a crazy, crazy video. But here's the deal. Most people simply just walked past him. They had no idea who he was because they believed he was just a common street performer, and yet he's one of the greatest violinists of our age. It's intriguing how things like clothing affect our beliefs and then how our beliefs affect our behavior. Go ahead, Sam. You know, the reality is someone could have told me just who Josh Bell was, and I probably still wouldn't have stopped <laughs> because that's just me but we miss things because of what we believe. Here's another example, and I think this one's going to hit a little closer to home. This was an experiment which actually started out as an advertisement campaign for Carlsberg beer. Let me show you what happened. Go ahead and pull that one up. That calls for a Carlsberg, right? What would you have done if you had walked into a theater packed with a bunch of bikers? Some of you would have felt just at home and would have enjoyed and just grabbed a seat in the midst of them. But most of you would have thought twice. Because, again, belief influences behavior. Here's the deal. We are going to be studying Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth over the next several weeks, and I'm going to ask you a question from the outset, because this is a question I asked myself. Why? Why would we look at this letter? There is a joke that Jeremy and I often share with one another. You know, I begin preaching from a book in the Bible, and when I come across a hard teaching or a difficult passage to understand, I will say to him, why did we choose this book why are we looking at this? Because honestly, there are some really hard things in the Bible. There are teachings that are hard to understand because they were written somewhere between two and 4,000 years ago from within cultures that are very different from our own. And then there are teachings that are difficult simply because they seem unrealistic. Our nature fights against them. As I've been reading 1 Corinthians and then rereading it and then reading it again, what I have found is that at times it is challenging. And at times it is difficult to understand. Paul is encouraging us in what feels like just very unrealistic expectations. There are things that Paul is going to say that we just don't take seriously. And then there are things that honestly probably won't make any sense at all to us. Let me give you some examples. I want to read some of the texts we're going to come across. In the very first chapter, Paul will say to the church in Corinth, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. While it's not hard to understand what Paul is saying there, would you say that's true of our congregation? Do you think that we are perfectly united in mind and thought? Because the church in Corinth wasn't. It was filled with divisions and with conflict, which begs the question, is this actually possible. Oh, did you just wake up? (laughs) If it isn't, if it's not possible to be united in mind and thought, then why would Paul exhort us to this? In chapter 5, Paul will talk about a report he had heard of sexual immorality within the church, a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. And Paul is going to say, Next slide. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of our Lord. Huh. What do we do with that text? Did you know that there are churches who use this passage and actually the whole chapter of chapter 5 as a basis for shunning and excommunicating their members? And then we get to one of my favorite verses in chapter 7. Go ahead, next one. Now, for matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Yes, that is actually what Paul literally wrote down. In your pew Bibles, I think what it says is, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Either way, the question that begs is why. Why would he make such a statement? Because this can go wrong in so many ways if it is misinterpreted. And I have to be honest with you, churches have misinterpreted, misunderstood this text grossly. He will go on to say, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried. I guess that means that we will no longer be performing weddings here at First Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, which to me is a great relief because weddings are really stressful and a lot of work. So no more weddings, guys. None of you. Not getting remarried. Nothing. There are going to be instructions about eating food sacrificed to idols, which most of us don't really worry about. In chapter 10, Paul will say, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, Eat whatever is put before you. Now that's a command I've been waiting all my life for because I love food and eating. So you're free to go any place and eat whatever they put before you. And then there's a text that says, "Women, okay, let's start over. women should remain silent in the churches. That's what I'm excited to unpack for you guys. I've been looking forward to that text as well. There is even a comment in chapter 15 about being baptized for the dead. There is a lot of stuff that we're going to come across in Corinthians that is going to be difficult and hard to understand. And if I'm being totally honest with you, as I was looking at 1 Corinthians over the last several weeks, I kept asking myself, why, why would I do this to myself? This, I think, is a bad idea. Sophie got out of bed this morning, and she must have been reading 1 Corinthians because she walks into my room as I was working, and she's like, Dad, this book is stupid. This doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a tricky one. You know, my preference would be just to put the book back on a shelf and find another book, like Judges, because that's one I've been longing to preach on. (laughs) Every time I bring that up, Nick and Jeremy look at me and they just shake their head and nod at me because they're like, seriously, do you know what's in Judges? Judges is a dark and ugly book. But anyway, here's the deal. I think Corinthians is actually important for us to study. First of all, because all of Scripture is important for us to study. You know, I made this promise to you when I first started with you guys about five and a half years ago, and I continue to hold to it today. Which is, I will never shy away from anything that we find within the Bible. I may at times declare I have no idea what the author is actually trying to say, but I think it is critical that we wrestle with God's Word, all of it, as we seek to know Him more fully. Paul will say to Timothy, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's important to look at the whole book. And then secondly, because belief impacts behavior, and the Bible informs what we believe God longs to transform everything we do. He longs for us to stop sinning and hurting one another and breaking things. But he does this not through telling us what to do. He does this through changing what we believe. So there is a story of a jailer in the book of Acts. It comes from chapter 16. It's going to be our text for this morning. And what makes him interesting is the question that he will ask Paul and Silas. This jailer will say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the question that all of us within the church will ask at one time or another. What must I do to be saved? Believe, they replied. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Because what we believe matters. Now, it's kind of interesting how the jailer gets to this question, which is actually relevant to the study of 1 Corinthians. So here's the backstory: story. Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and they are preaching the gospel to anyone and everyone who will listen when a girl starts to follow them. She was a slave, and Luke tells us that she was possessed by a spirit that could predict the future. If you could imagine, this ability of hers made her owners extremely wealthy. But if we actually think about this story, and we don't just read over it, it sounds like it's a story that should come out of an episode of Ghost Hunters on TV or something kind of out there. If we actually think about this story, it might make us a little bit uncomfortable. I know personally, I don't really know what to do with it. I don't know what to believe when I read stories like that. And yet there are stories of the supernatural all throughout Scripture, stories of angels and demons, and typically we just read over them. We don't pause to consider the question, what do we believe Think about this. The slave girl had a spirit that permitted her to predict the future. People paid her to catch a glimpse of what was to come in their lives. I don't know what you think about that, but did you know that roughly $2.2 billion is spent each year on spiritists and psychics and astrologers? Maybe you, at some point in your life, called a psychic, or visited a palm reader, or maybe you know someone who has. The thing is, while I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this story, if I stop and think about it, I believe in everything that is behind it. I believe in the prophetic, in the ability to see the future. During Advent, you know, those four weeks that lead us up to Christmas, we repeatedly turn to the Old Testament prophets And we remind ourselves of the prophecies about Jesus the Christ. We typically don't have any problems with those stories. They don't challenge us. In fact, they often comfort us. Which is why when I got to seminary and I was going through seminary, there were individuals who would make the argument that certain prophetic books had to have been written after the events they prophesied. Because that just can't be true. There is a significant number of people within the church that don't believe in prophecy, although it's all throughout Scripture. There are even people who don't believe, as we studied throughout Advent, that the prophecies we find in Isaiah actually pointed to Christ Even though Matthew pulls those prophecies out and he directly associates them with the birth of Christ, they would say, you know what, those don't have any connection whatsoever. We should completely disregard those. So this is where it gets challenging. Paul is going to say to the church in Corinth that there is a purpose for prophecy in the church and not the way we typically use it. In fact, this is what he's going to say. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Because the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Okay, so how does that make you feel? Does that leave you with some questions? Does that make you a little bit uneasy? Because after all, this is a Presbyterian church, right? And I think it's safe to say that it makes most of us very uncomfortable. We do not pay a lot of attention to the gifts of the Spirit. We don't acknowledge them. But they're all over the book of Corinthians. So back to Acts. Acts. This young girl is going to follow Paul around the city of Philippi, and she is going to proclaim, These men are the servants of the Most High God. They are telling you the way to be saved. And then Luke goes on to tell us that she kept this up for many days until Paul is going to become so annoyed that he will turn around to her and he will say to the spirit within her, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And then at that moment we are told the spirit left her. The problem is, is this is going to go on to infuriate the owners of the slave girls. And so consequently, they will have Paul and Silas thrown into jail. And this is where we meet our jailer who will ask the question: Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe. That was the response. Believe. In the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You know, as we look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth over the next several weeks, I want you to consider something. Actually, what I want you to do is what I I want you to remember something. I want you to remember the first time you believed, the first time you were captivated by the name of Jesus. Paul will say that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. And yet, I can tell you the first time I heard it at the age of 25, it brought me to my knees. It made me weep. You've heard me say this over and over. There is a difference between those who have grown up in the church and those who who have grown up outside of the church and not accepted Christ till later in life. And yet, the challenge to us all is that Jesus is not someone we simply follow. He's not someone that we should just gather and talk about. He should captivate our hearts and our imaginations. Because it is in Jesus that we will find something that the world cannot offer us we find hope hope in a life that is lived better than the one we currently know it grows better each day as we draw closer to god and he opens our eyes to the way he intended us to live it's actually the uh, the idea that we focused on as we studied Dickens' story *A Christmas Carol and the life of Ebenezer Scrooge, this unspeakable joy that comes with belief. We also find a hope that the life we begin today, and we begin it each day, the life we begin today will continue on into eternity. It will continue on after death. So Paul is going to challenge us to consider, what is it that you actually believe? Because what we believe will ultimately impact what we do. In Christ, God longs to change our lives through what we believe. So this is where this gets interesting. This past week, Jeremy and Nick were talking about Bible study and I came to them, and I said to Nick as she was on the phone, I said, you know what, I think we should look at this, this, this year, this new year in Bible study. I think we should look at prayer. And that's because I have talked to a number of you who have come to me and said, you know what, Mike, I don't, I don't understand prayer. I don't know how to pray. What's funny, and I say it's funny because I believe it was spirit-led, is that Nick turned to me and said, you know, that's actually what Jeremy and I have been talking about. We think we should talk about the practice of prayer. And it's going to be about learning and it's going to be about doing. Because belief and behavior are tied together and they need to go hand in hand. And so the Bible study that we will begin on Tuesday night at 7 is going to be about prayer. About talking with our Lord and our Savior. You know, as we begin to ask some of the questions about what do we truly believe, do you know what I'm most excited about? What I am intrigued to see is I believe that as we begin to study First Corinthians, it's going to have an impact on our behavior. Because I think it's going to challenge what we believe. I think it's going to open our eyes to the breadth and to the depth of who God is. And I think it's going to have an impact. See, here's one of the things that I believe very strongly. We can all come to the church as is. The church's doors are open wide to any and everyone who want to walk through them. But I guarantee that if you come through these doors and you actually believe, then you're going to walk back out forever changed. A new person that's the promise that Paul makes to us. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. It's going to be an exciting ride because there's some bumps in the road on this one. But I think it's going to be really good for our church. And I think it's really good for the church just in general. Let us pray. Lord, <coughs> if I'm being honest, it's with a little fear and trepidation that we take on 1 Corinthians. Corinthians part of that is because personally I just do not like Paul I do not like the way he writes I don't like the things he says but I know that you inspired his words and so Lord as we take the time to unpack this letter I ask that you would fill us with wisdom and insight that your spirit would draw us into belief in a way that maybe we've never quite known, that we would hold dearly to your Son and to everything he is placing before us. Father, we gather in response to you and what you are doing in our lives. So we dedicate this study to you. And it is in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.
1: Please stand if you're able as we continue to lift our hearts in worship.
0: So we will once again turn to our bulletin inserts and on it you're going to find a list of prayer concerns. Prayer really is critical and core to the life of the Christian, so it's something to pay attention to. A couple of quick updates and then I'll open it up to you guys. So I don't know how many of you have known of this or if any of you know of this, but Janie Weigel was diagnosed with cancer this past year. She has breast cancer now. For her, it's actually as good a news as it gets. It's a very non-aggressive type of cancer. But she's going to be having surgery on January 15th. It's a lumpectomy, and they're very optimistic about how this should go. So we're going to move Janie down into our cancer section in prayer. So be praying for Janie and for Tom as they go through the surgery and as they deal with this cancer. Also a friend of Kelly Swanson so Karen that would be their son okay he's 10 years old his name is Harrison Connor i guess he was just diagnosed recently with leukemia so we're going to add him to our list as well so we'll pray we'll pray for him all right excuse me other updates prayer concerns that you would like to add go ahead linda oh Oh, really? And then on Friday, we had to deal with my twin
2: brother. He was in St. Elizabeth's right now.
0: Really? Stroke as well? I'm not sure. There's a good one today. He didn't to get it. Okay. Oh. Huh. That could be your problem. <laughs> Just kidding, mad. <Matt>. Sorry. <laughs> Linda, what's his name? Lee. Lee. That's right.
2: Lee. Yeah, my twin brother,
0: oh, goodness. Okay. Sorry. Things don't always connect. I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So he's insane ease? Okay. So a bunch of you know Edna, she's coming, comes out to our Bible study, so she had a stroke behind her eye, and it's caused blindness in that eye, and then Lee, who I don't know if, some of you might know from outside of the church, but Lee is in St. E's with some issues with memory loss, so we'll add them to our prayer list as well. All right, thanks. All right, other concerns, updates? Oh, It's quiet, go ahead, Sandy? That's true, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine Jack must be just delighted. He, he must be having so much fun. Fantastic. So we will lift that up. Uh, I've been meaning to ask you, how's Miles? Miles? What's going on, okay, okay, How old is he again? Um, he's four, so we've been praying for miles a few weeks ago. Miles had a problem. He couldn't speak. He just woke up one day and was unable to speak, and they've been running tests and things, but keep keep miles and the family in your prayers. Thanks, Andy. Go ahead. Okay. We've been praying for Rhonda, for Bonnie's daughter. She's having surgery on Thursday. Okay. She has breast cancer, um, so... Continue to lift Rhonda up in your prayers. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. Put that over here. All right. All right. Anything else? Go ahead. Tomorrow morning? The recovery. Okay. All right. Is she going to be staying with you? Okay. All right. So for a knee replacement tomorrow. What's her name? Janet. Janet. Okay. We'll add Janet to the list. All right. Go ahead. Okay. 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 So we've been praying for George because he's been in a lot of pain and stuff. So he's in a nursing home now. So let's continue to lift him up in prayers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, no. Okay, what's his name, Maureen? Jacob. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: All right, we'll be praying for them. All right. All right, let's turn to God in prayer then. Lord, we give you thanks for the life, death, and for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. It truly is in him that we find a hope that the world could never offer. And so we look to you for everything. Father, we come to you this morning on behalf of friends and families Brothers and sisters, we pray for Bill and Elaine, for David and Dick, for Ellen, for George and Kevin and Harriet and Steve, for Miles, and Bob and Miriam, for Paul and Sandy, for Bill and for Janie. We ask that her upcoming surgery would go well and recovery equal. We pray for Janet and her surgery. We pray for Linda, or for Edna and for Lee. We pray for Jacob. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters within the Methodist Church. Lord, we pray for all those that we know who are being treated for cancer. For Belle and Krista, for Shannon and Rich, for Brenda and Brooke. For Debbie and George and Jean and Shirley, for Jim and Kathy, for Kim, for Nancy, for Mark and Luke, for John and Ed and Rhonda, who's going to be having surgery this coming Thursday, we pray for Shirley and Patty, for Christopher, for Rick and Arlene, for Susan and Alex, for Pete, Mrs. Weaver and Charlie. Lord, we add to that list Harrison. Be with him and his family. We give thanks and praise to you for the birth of Jack's grandson. I can't imagine what delight that brings to their family. Lord, we take a moment and we pray for all those who are currently serving in the armed services. And we remember all who have served or who have given their lives in the act of service. We pray for our sister churches here in the valley, for Eastside Church in Sharon, and for the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer in Hermitage. And Lord, we take a moment of silence as we lift any prayer concerns that have not been spoken out loud. Lord, we lift these prayers to you in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who is both our Lord and our Savior. And He is the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take a moment if you've not yet done so and put your name in our pew pads. We really appreciate that. So the Apostle Paul is going to say, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You know, our offerings do not just come from our wallets or our pockets, but they are something that we make of our very lives. So at this time, as we continue in worship, let us make an offering to the Lord. If you're visiting with us, please don't feel obligated to make an offering. We're just glad you joined us.
3: is the
0: Let us give thanks. All good things come from you, O God. And so it is with gratitude that we return to you what you first gave us. It is with thanksgiving that we offer you ourselves. In union with Christ's offering for us, by your Holy Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Amen. Our closing song is the song Trading My Sorrows. Please join us. As Ryan leads us from the sanctuary today with the light of Christ, what Jesus is calling us to do is to simply believe. Hear now this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile upon you as he is gracious toward you. And may the Lord look you full in the face and give you peace. Amen.